The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash Pachak Supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash podshock. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Podshock Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch now in the iTunes App Store. Live from a submarine trapped in a force field, it's Doctor Who, Podshock. The Gallifreyan Embassy presents Doctor Who, Podshock, episode 322. This is Louis Trapani, and joining me on this episode are two familiar voices that you've heard during our live shows, but now they're here in a studio format. So first up, uh, well, we usually, I, I first, first should say that Dave will be back. He's not on this show, so usually I start across the pond with Dave. But um, now there's no pond to go across in this episode because we're all stateside here. So uh, um, for the lack of any um, any other order, I'll go alphabetically. First up is Kyle Jones. Hi, Kyle. Welcome to the show. And it's good to have you hosting with us. Good evening and glad to be here. Glad to be back. Well, Kyle was uh, with us for the most part and now last series of live shows reviewing um, the the first series of the Twelfth Doctor, Peter Capaldi. So uh, I think he missed maybe one episode and then another one, which he was on, but then he had to run and um, because we had him on hold for too long. So, but he he was there for the most part, and um, and and joining him for uh, for many of those shows was uh, I don't know if you if is Lee Shackelford, but I don't know if you want me to want if you want me to say it was Professor Cornotis. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say it if you didn't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, hi, guys. Yeah, yeah. Professor Kunotis in the forums, but yeah. Well, um, I'm glad to have you with us, and uh, I'm glad to have you both with us, both with me and um, with the show. Uh, thanks for having us on. Uh, absolutely. I think I speak for Lee when we're saying, when we both say, we're glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to have you both here. And I'm also glad to say that. I'm not talking to you buried under 30 inches of snow, as was originally <laughs> yeah. predicted. So we are recording this at the end of January on the 28th, to be exact. So just yesterday, we had this blizzard of 2015, which originally they were predicting for my area, 20 to 30 inches with snow drifts up to five feet. Um, you know, your regular hot atmosphere. Uh, for the <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it turned out to be uh, the, the storm had shifted off east, so it turned out to be um, less than that. We had got, gotten about 14 to 17 inches, but the wind was blowing it all around. So um, in some areas it was a lot less, in other areas it was more. So give or take, it wasn't too bad. I mean, it was still a mess to clean out, but it, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. So. You, you've had your fill of precipitation for the yes, uh, foreseeable yes, future. Yeah, I think, so. <laughs> 
It really, um, when it, you know, I was worried about the power because they were warning, you know, because of the power lines. It was, it was with a blizzard, it's a lot of wind, and they were saying that uh, it could get so windy that it could be uh, hurricane force winds and and with the weight of the snow and on, on trees coming down. And uh, after Sandy being, you know, without power for weeks, it's just something that uh, <laughs> you just want to make sure yeah. the power is there because... Uh, Without power, you don't have heat. It's it's everything so much connected to it, and, and at that time, but same, well, I'm not going to get into. Um, I I shouldn't, you know. Lee has some experience with mother, with Mother Nature as well, unfortunately. <laughs> yes. So, uh, you you've had um, so. some participate some um, not precipit, uh, precipit, uh, precipitation of your uh, of your own to deal with. Yeah. So we're we're just both glad we're not getting, being flooded right now. Yes. yes. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, my my feet are dry, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're here. We're going to be reviewing a um, a classic story, the Sea Devils, in this episode. But before that, we got some news to cover. Uh, but it's, it was really nice to um, sink our teeth into a John Pertwee story, the Third Doctor, once again, and um, that's what we're going to be reviewing. But uh, before we go any further. Let's uh let's hit some news with some. <laughs> I thought I heard you hitting some news there, so uh, let's let's. <laughs> My noisy keyboard. Yeah, it does sound like you're you're teletyping. Well, I was just about to do that, yeah. and I said, "Oh, well, he's <laughs> yeah. doing he's doing it for real." I was just about to do this. There it is. <laughs> we are fortunate to have two fan-produced Star Trek series on uh, picking up where the original series of Star Trek left off. Um, you know, back in 1969, they have come um, both, there are two, Star Trek Continues and Star Trek Phase 2, or sometimes, um, I think it's Star Trek New Voyages, I think they are also known as. Uh, Both of them have um, set, you know, they're they're doing their own episodes. It's it's all um, fan-driven, but it's professionally done with, um, uh, they've done these incredible sets, and they're shooting it just as if it was, you know, back then and continuing, the, because Star Trek originally only had three se- three s- seasons or series, depending on your point of view as far as um, UK and, and we call them seasons here. So th- three years. So it was a five-year mission. So they're kind of filling in those unseen episodes with new stories. And um, uh, so one of them is Star Trek Continues, which I think they do an excellent job with. And uh, um, so... They did three episodes so far, I believe. It takes a, um, a while to do because they have to raise funds to do it and um, shoot it. And, you know, everyone else is, everyone that's involved with it are also doing other jobs and other, you know. So it's 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 miraculous that they can do it at all. But they, if you haven't you haven't seen it yet, check, you know, Google Star Trek Continues, go to their site and check out um, um, some of their episodes. They're also available on YouTube and um, Vimeo and um, other video sources, but um, but what I'm getting at the the latest episode that they're working on now, which is episode four, uh, I'm not sure if it has a title yet. Uh, but the point is, uh, Colin Baker, the the sixth Doctor, is um, guest starring in it. Oh, but, cool! But not, we presume, as the sixth Doctor. No, no, they obviously they're, they're playing up the you know Doctor Who meets Star Trek, you know, as far as the publicity yeah. goes, but. Um, Colin Baker sporting this little goatee beard, which uh, is reminiscent of of uh, 
the the alternate the the mirror mirror universe of Spock. So it ah. makes it makes me think that he's uh, playing a um, a heavy, but we don't. <laughs> I don't know that for sure. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, I'd love to see him as the bad guy in a Star Trek continues. That would be. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. So it's um. First, the first of the two Star Trek Continues episodes should premiere in April of May at a sci-fi convention. I'm just reading <laughs> up on um, on when we might expect to see this. So, uh, but I think they're shooting it right now. So there's something to look forward to. I think they. Uh, it, it's great having two options of um, you know venues out there continuing the original um, Star Trek you know series. I obviously, for those that have aren't familiar with them, they they um, it's recast, so it's none of the. Well, I should say none of the original actors are there playing the original roles, but well, some some of the guest stars have. Um, yes, yeah, Michael Forrest as Apollo, yeah, yeah. and um, and James Doohan's son is Plague Scotty, and yes. uh, wow, cool. Of course, his Jimmy Doohan impression Chris is Chris Doohan, yeah, <laughs> very good, yeah, Chris Doohan, that's right. Now, isn't this year also their 50th anniversary? It's... Um, 2016. You know, for, it's, yeah, for, yeah, oh, 2016. 2016, yeah. as far as the um, when they when it premiered on yeah, television. It, right. It's, it's the fifth... When they started shooting was actually last November was the 50th mm-hmm. anniversary of when they started shooting because they started... Um, they had two pilots that they shot before right. the series began. So right. they actually began production in um, November of 1964. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, so we just passed the 50th anniversary of when they began, you know, shooting Star Trek. It was like right around Thanksgiving. Was I think they started shooting, um, it might have been a couple of days after Thanksgiving back in 1964. Oh, cool. Most likely the Monday after Thanksgiving. So yeah, very soon here, I'm going to be a fan of two franchises that are more than 50 years old. I'm not, I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, I've, well, I've I've come to accept that. I'm, it seems like every show that I'm <laughs> I'm a fan of, they, there's at least one or more cast member that have that has passed on. So um, it's just right. kind of <laughs> that, that you've outlived. Yes. Right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Well, I read comic books, so when you look at comparing Superman, <laughs> Batman, Wonder Woman with uh, 50 years, they're you know <laughs> well over 50. That's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of uh, continuing series, uh, Doctor Who will continue. The next series is uh, is, is uh, set to shoot, and there's rumors that it's going to be shooting in Spain. They're returning to Spain once again. Uh, ah. I, I say rumors only because it's not anything officially announced. But the director of photography, um, Ali Sad Assad, if I'm pronouncing his uh, surname correctly, had tweeted. Um, Something to the uh, going to Spain on location, um, Risi for the doctor. Hmm. So we can read into that that um, that they're shooting in Spain once again, which I'm all for. I'm all I'm all for location yeah. shooting. Hmm. I, so was the last one last time they were in Spain? Was that the the two doctors? They were they they were there for the two doctors. I think they were there. 
one other time since then, um, at least. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, and I can't think what it is, but yeah. Uh, I would love to see them refer to two doctors in some way, though. A, th- a town called Mercy was, um, I think, was might have been shot in Spain. Really? Yeah. I understand it's a, it's just a, a, you know, the ideal country to shoot any kind of movie in because they have every conceivable uh, bio, (laughs) you know, every every conceivable climate. Well, where is it? Is it Vancouver in Canada that a lot of American? Yes, uh, right now, yeah, yeah. Middle America is now in Vancouver. That's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So in in um in a town called Mercy, the 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 whole standing in for Western U.S. was um. Alameria, Spain. Um, huh. Sure look like the American Southwest. Sure, definitely. So in, in other news, um, Russell G. Davies has uh, mentioned that he would uh, be interested in doing a Doctor Who feature movie, which is um, shortly before this, earlier in the month, he had come out to say that um, that he's approached every year about coming back to do Doctor Who again, and um, he's always turned, you know, when I say doing Doctor Who again, I mean the TV series, and he's always turned it down. Um, Right now, it was of interest because uh, there was uh, speculation of a 10th anniversary uh, show, you know, because since the series came back in 2005, 2005, now we're 2015, we're 10 years into the new series. But um, what he had said, which I sort of agree with, is that it's silly to have a 10th anniversary after the 50th. <laughs> right. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, absolutely. If, if we're thinking of Except this as it. one whole series, then, right. yeah. I mean, they, they could do something. I, I think I said it in the last Doctor Who podcast, they could do something, uh, sort of a wink of an eye um, tribute to it, you know, something that's not over, you know, uh, you know, something snuck in there or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, only in a time travel, you know, show franchise could you have the tenth anniversary after the fiftieth anniversary. I mean, so if there's a show that could ever get away with doing that, it, well, it's Doctor Who, and and have two tenth anniversary specials. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so three doctors I, I think the it's it's confusing episodes. enough that they're renumbered the series. You know, starting with you know, we have season one and series one, and then season mm. two and series two and sometimes it gets confusing on um you know if someone's talking about you know you know s- series nine or is this uh you know are we talking to john pertry or are we talking to uh, right. peter capaldi <laughs> so uh, so anyway so now that the latest is that uh he was speaking on bbc radio 2 saying that that he would enjoy doing it you know bringing it to the seminars he to quote he said, "I think it should be a it should be in the cinemas immediately. It would be glorious. Um, imagine queuing up in the cinema to go and see Doctor Who to see a Doctor Who film. Um, you know, and, and if he was to write it, he would said, yes, please. It would be great to get the to get lawyers and contracts flying right now. You know, I would I would do it because I think there's there's a big leap to be made, which." Um, I've, you know, what I've had said in the past as far as my feelings about a Doctor Who feature movie would be that if they do it in, in a sense, how they did with the X-Files, where it somehow fits into the existing series and it's not something, um, you know, on its own, where it's, it somehow fits into whatever's going on. In other words, it should be the existing actor playing the Doctor 
you know, not another, you know, not what they did with Peter Cushing, you know, where right, obviously it was right, absolutely off canon. But if if whoever was the current doctor would play the play the role in a feature film and it would somehow make sense within the TV series, you know, it's not like where all of a sudden he would have a different TARDIS interior and something completely different than the, te- you know, it should be coherent with the, with the, with the current series. And his name would not be Dr. Who. Yes, it wouldn't be. Literally. <laughs> For example. Yes, exactly. And the TARDIS wouldn't be a, a machine that he's invented. Yeah. <laughs> that happens to be called, um, TARDIS and, and looks like a police box for some reason. Right. Speaking of, of continuation, as, as as seems to be the theme of the unbeknownst to me when we put the news together, it seems continuation seems to be the the theme of the of the news segment here. So, hmm. um, to uh, continuing Doctor Who spinoffs, the most notably would be uh, Torchwood, which hasn't seen any new production since um, the since they did a. Um, a joint American adventure on, um, I'm trying to remember the, the network stars. stars. That's right. Yeah. Which was miracle um, day. Miracle day. Yes. And, uh, um, which both, I think, um, Dave and I had said at the time when we were reviewing it on, um, Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi was that I, I think we both concluded that the major problem with Miracle Day was that it was two it was like ten episodes long. It probably could have been done in five. It just seemed to prolong this, and it was you know it was very dark and and dire, and you know it was a long way to go for for that um, subject matter. So I I you know I don't think it ever picked up any other steam you know momentum after that. So. Um, so now, Barrowman, John Barrowman has come out, has um, has been said to say that you know they're doing these radio plays. They're going to be doing three or four radio plays, and he's hoping that this will will inspire uh, the production team to bring it back as a television series. Hmm. Well, uh, John Barrowman and Eve Miles are both guests at Gallifrey. Uh, which is in two weeks. So I, I can't imagine that they're not going to get up on that stage with that giant collection of Doctor Who fans and leak something. I, I'm i sure they'll have some information to impart about what's new for Torchwood. Yeah, he's, so. he's um, working on a, um, which I haven't seen, a, a show called Arrow. Yes. Yeah, I, I've not seen him on it, and I think he's coming back to it too. Yeah, he, so uh, to quote Barrowman, he says, um, you know, I do, I, I do know that, he's a quote, I do know that we're working, that we're doing three to four radio plays for BBC for Torchwood. Uh, my sister and I are discussing the possibility of writing one of them um, and whether or not that leads to something on TV. Um, but I'm full time with Arrow right now. It's not a question of me not wanting to do it. It's a question of the BBC wanting to do it and others wanting to do Torchwood. I know the fans are out there, and I think it would be silly not to do, not not to, not to, end quote. Yeah, I'm all for it. I, I mean, I thought Children, no. um, what was it, the, 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 the third series? Children of Earth. Children yeah. of Earth was very good. Yeah. And yeah. Um, if maybe they bring it back to the UK and, and take it from there, I, I mean, I don't know what Russell T. Davies' agenda, I know he's busy doing... Um, 
a new series himself right now, so I, you know, who knows? But it would be good to see uh, Torchwood come back in some form or another. I would love that. So well, we got the radio plays to look forward to, so that's something. Yeah. All right, well, going with the continuation theme, <laughs> continue, <laughs> continuing with birthdays, uh, Tom Baker had another one. <laughs> Tom Baker, uh, just recently, as I said, we're, we're recording this on the 28th, so I think it was about a, a week or so, maybe I think, it was, I think it's the 20th his birthday is. So he just, um, he just celebrated his 81st birthday. So happy birthday, Mr. Tom Baker. I think Lee you absolutely had... happy birthday and many more absolutely you were right born uh, January the 20th 1934 yes he shares his birthday with another famous doctor of sci-fi the Forrest Kelly bringing That's this right. to Star Trek yeah and I, if I'm not mistaken I believe he would have been 95 if I'm not mistaken to Forrest D. Kelly yeah, yeah. Yeah, I always like to say my favorite doctor is the real McCoy. So people can puzzle, <laughs> do I mean D. Kelly or the, the seventh doctor? The answer, of course, is yes. <laughs> Both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't make me choose. Well, you know, growing up watching Star Trek had really spoiled me because now, you know, I, I want to go to a doctor and I just want him to like him or her to rave a salt shaker in front of me just to find out yes. what's wrong. And, you know. <laughs> What do you mean this needle and, you know, right. x-rays? What is this? This is barbaric. Stone knives and, and baskets. So people, exactly. <laughs> Can't you just give me a, a pill and I'll grow a new kidney or something? Right. <laughs> All right. But we are getting close to a lot of those uh, things that were so dazzling in the sick bay in the yeah, 60s. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, um, last but not least... Um, Continuing um, with our coverage of, um, you know, what's what's coming up with uh, Doctor Who, news that that um, Toby Whitehouse, uh, Whithouse, if I'm not I'm not sure about its pronunciation of his surname, is uh, returning for a two-parter um, in the next series. And I was reading up on that a little bit earlier, and it is, I believe, episodes three and four, so it's probably in the second block of shooting. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's supposed to it says uh, according to Moffat that it is one of um, one of the scariest adventures yet so there you go Hmm. yes but the first rule of Moffat is Moffat lies yes right so who knows (laughs) exactly maybe who does know (laughs) who knows well, I enjoy everything that uh, Toby Whithouse writes, um, but um, you know, uh, school reunion is just so close to my heart that I, it's uh, it's hard to think of anything else. I'm I'll just always be grateful to him for that. Yeah, yeah, that's um, a good story there. And you know what? I think for so many people, that particular story is what united classic with current. Because mm-hmm. it, it took it took Sarah Jane, it took that story to make it one cohesive unit. At least, I mean, it did for me. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, it's the ultimate bridger of gaps. Yeah. 
At the moment where Mickey realizes that he's basically serving the role that K-9 serves, (laughs) (laughs) it all comes together. I'm the tin dog. (laughs) It's all complete. He's got everything he needs. Oh, something to look forward to then, then, yeah. You know, I I mean, as as far as it being scary, I I always say, you know, um, there's nothing wrong with it being scary, but it should just come out of good, you know, storytelling. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think they should go out of their way to make it scary. I just think it should just come out from, you know, from the story itself. You know, like, we're going to be reviewing the Sea Devils, and you know, momentarily, you know, and you could argue saying, well, the, the Sea Devils themselves are scary, but I don't think they they, they set out to make it... I, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I think um, it just comes out to be, you know, comes out of good storytelling, I think. Yeah. It's very good storytelling, I think. It's good storytelling, but on the on the flip side of that, I didn't find them scary. I mean, not you know, not in the least. Uh, you know, it, it it could have been the fact that it the episodes were you know so old, good for for their day. But you know, I personally didn't find them very scary. Well, I, it might be that that you you know younger viewers might have at the time. Good yeah. point. Seventy-two. Yeah, I wonder. Are we getting ahead of ourselves? Are we? Yeah, we are. <laughs> can we, can are. we talk about sea devils yet? Well, <laughs> well, I think that wraps up things for the news. Unless there's anything else that um, that surfaced recently that we should address. Mm, no, I think the only thing that's surfacing would be "quote unquote" some sea devils. All right. Sorry, I couldn't resist that one. <laughs> All right, so we'll be right back with our review of The Sea Devil. So now you have a chance to get that DVD out or, or um, stream it and watch six episodes of The Sea Devils right. in the, by the time, in the space between now and, and when we come back. Exactly. Three hours later. <laughs> This is Katie Manning, and you're listening to Doctor Who Podshock, or as I read it, Pooshock. <laughs> hey, so are you watching the Sea Devils right now during this break? Are you out watching the the, the DVD or streaming the video of the six parts of the Sea Devils so you're pre- all set and prepared for our review? Well, you have another option. And that option is Audible. Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. Audible has over 150,000 titles to choose from in all different genres, including thrillers, business, romance, comedy, science fiction, and more. Audible titles will play on your iPhone, Kindle, Android, and more than 500 devices for listening anytime and anywhere. For you, listeners of Doctor Who Podshock, well, Audible is offering you a free audiobook download with a 30-day trial so you have a chance to check out their service. To download your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com slash pawchalk. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash pawchalk for your free audiobook. And what, what are we going to recommend for this episode? Well, it's no surprise, The Sea Devils. Actually, Audible has two different offerings of the Sea Devils, Doctor Who and the Sea Devils for you. One is a dramatization from the television series, in other words, the audio 
from the television series is used to create an audiobook with Katie Manning doing the narration. And another is a audiobook of the novelization by Malcolm Hulk, narrated by Jeffrey Beavers, who uh, who at one time d- did play the master, though, um, you know, not, not in this episode here. Unfortunately, we lost Roger Delgado, who played the master in this story. So uh, Jeffrey Beavers does the narration of the Malcolm Hulk novelization of the of the book, uh, the Doctor Who and the Sea Devils. So uh, which one to recommend? Well, it depends on your taste. If you want to get that rich flavor of the actual audio from the television um, transmission, the, 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 the episode itself, uh, there's the dramas, dramatization version of it with, uh, like I said, with Katie Manning doing the narration. Um, or if you want to get a little bit more in-depth um, some of the stuff that you might not have seen on the television, you know, so, something that might not, content that might not be in the episodes itself, but going deeper into uh, the novelization by Malcolm um, Hulk, who, uh, who who did this story, uh, you might want to go with that version. So here's a little taste of both. First, um, this is the dramatization from the television series. This is the audio from the, the TV series uh, episodes with Katie Manning doing um, the narration. Then after that, we'll have we'll have the Jeffrey Beavers narrating the Malcolm Hawk uh, novelization audiobook of Doctor Who and the Sea Devils, and um, you you can decide which one, or you could choose whatever you want. But here here's a little sample of both. In the early hours of the morning, a panicked radio operator staggers into the communications cabin of his stricken ship. Mayday! Mayday! This is the May Day is received at a small naval base off the south coast of England. Give your position, please give your position. Leading telegraphist Bowman looks up as a bleary-eyed Captain Hart enters the room. What is it? It's a May Day, sir. This is Pevensey Castle. Say they're being attacked. We're abandoning ship. We're abandoning ship. Our position is... A shadow falls across the desk and a scaly hand grasps the radio operator's microphone. <laughs> The doctor and his assistant, Joe Grant, are aboard a little wooden fishing boat, bobbing uneasily out to sea. The vessel's owner, Robbins, sits cheerfully at the tiller. That's it over there. Robbins points to a grim-looking chateau, perched overlooking the coastline of a small island. He passes the doctor a pair of binoculars. There you are, Joe. It's the master's permanent residence from now on. Let's hope he's still there. The boat pulls alongside a little jetty, and the doctor jumps out with the mooring rope. Okay. Leaving the boat in the care of its owner, Joe and the doctor walk along the quayside to where a car is waiting for them. I'll be back in a couple of hours to take you over to the mainland. Right. The vehicle is a strange, doorless affair, driven by a cheerless guard clad in black cape and beret. With his passengers aboard, the guard sets off on the short journey to the chateau. So that was Katie Manning doing the Doctor Who and the Sea Devils of the dramatization with the audio from the actual television episodes. And now this is um, Doctor Who and the Sea Devils, uh, the Malcolm Hulk uh, novelization audiobook narrated by Jeffrey Beavers. He pulled his way along a handrail until he came across some of the engine room crew. They were desperately trying to lower one of the lifeboats. 
Where's Jock? He called, yelling above the noise of the crashing waves. And where's the Jamaican? One of the engine room men, nicknamed the Scouse, yelled back to Mason, They're dead! They're both dead! Mason could not believe the men were dead. Only two hours ago, before he turned in for the night, he had been drinking cocoa with the Jamaican. The Jamaican, who really came from Trinidad and had never been to Jamaica in his life, had shown Mason a letter from his mother, who lived in a town called St. James. It's carnival next month, said the Jamaican, and she wants her best-looking son back home for carnival, and that's me. He had saved his airfare and was booked on a flight from London Airport three days after the SS Pevensey Castle got into the port of London, where she was bound. And now the Jamaican and Jock, and goodness knew how many others, were all dead. Mason struggled over to help the men from the engine room lower the lifeboat. He had the greatest respect for engineers when they were in the engine rooms, but he was not impressed with their upper deck seamanship. Steady there, he shouted and took one of the winches himself. There were four men on the winches and five men huddled in the boat. Under Mason's guidance, the lifeboat was evenly lowered into the boiling sea. The captain's voice again boomed out over the loudspeakers. Mason wondered whether the captain intended to stay on his bridge, giving out the order to abandon ship until there was no ship left to abandon. Traditionally, a ship's captain was supposed to be the last man on board if the ship was sinking, and some captains have been known to stay on the bridge beyond the margin of safety and to die as a result. Mason hoped his captain would be sensible and get into one of the lifeboats while there was still a chance. The scouts called into Mason's ear, She's hit water! Mason looked down. The lifeboat was now riding on the sea, and the men down there were letting loose the davit ropes. He cupped his hands to his mouth and called down to them, Get rowing! Pull away! Pull away! But the men in the lifeboat did not need to be told. They all knew that when a big ship finally sinks, she will drag with her any small craft standing close by. They had their oars out, and they were rowing frantically. Then the smoke started to rise from their little boat. Mason stared in horror as thick black smoke burst from the woodwork by the men's feet. Within moments, the whole bottom... So once again, you could pick either one of those as your free audiobook selection, or you could choose whatever you like that they have to offer. Uh, it doesn't even have to be science fiction. Uh, it doesn't have to be Doctor Who. It could be whatever you like. Uh, as your free audiobook, and you can go that route as well. You know, you're not. We're, obviously, you're. We're assuming you're a Doctor Who fans, so we're assuming. Um, you know, we're suggesting Doctor Who titles, but you're not limited to that. And uh, once again, to uh, get your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com/pachak. Again, that's audibletrial.com/pachak for your free audiobook. And if you're driving or you just can't get to that URL or you can't remember it, uh, have no fear. Go to our website, potshock.net, and you'll find links to the offer there as well. And now let's get back to our review of Doctor Who and the Sea Devils. We're not getting back to it. We're going to start it.
we're back with Doctor Who Parchak, and uh, as um, you know, just to remind everyone, with me joining me on this episode is Kyle Jones and Lee Shackelford. Um, both Kyle and Lee, first time doing the show, studio show. They've done live shows before. They've um, expressed their feedback on um, certain reviews of new episodes of Doctor Who. So now we're sticking our teeth into uh, something from what more. Um, more than 30 years it's uh almost uh almost 40 years 43 why yeah yeah and we're speaking of the sea devils which is a john pertree story and it went out in um between february and april of 1972 Master's permanent residence from now on. Let's hope he's still there. Send them up. <coughs> well, I suppose we could always come back later. Oh, yes, of course. You'll be the chappy from Unit. My name's Josephine Grant. How do you do? And this is the doctor. Colonel Trenchard, delighted to meet you. Pleasant trip? Yes, thank you. You were late, you know. Yes, we were held up. Mm, thought you might have sunk without trace. Sunk? Happens all the time recently. What does? Ship's vanishing. Makes you think, doesn't it? It does indeed. Now then, passes? Uh, well, look, we've been through all that, haven't we? don't take any chances here. Let's see them. Oh, ah, yes, from unit. That's right, yes. <clears throat> ah, jolly good. Well, you'll be wanting to see the prisoner. That was the general idea. He's an interesting chap, you know. You'll enjoy talking to him. If ever I get the opportunity. Has he given you any trouble, is he? Not a bit. You've got to be joking. He must have tried to escape. You've seen our security precautions. Anyway, we're on an island. Obviously, it's as I said, it's a John Pertwee story, Third Doctor, also co-stars Katie Manning as Joe Grant, his companion. And it's uh, directed by Michael E. Bryant, who's uh, done a few stories for Doctor Who um, um, in, in addition to this. Before this, he had done... Well, he's done Robots of Death, The Green Death, 
But I thought he did, um... All right, maybe not. I was thinking of Colony in Space. Did he do that? Not sure. They, are we are we all looking at IMDb right now? Yeah, he, he directed. I think so. Yeah, he directed Colony, Colony in Space. And space. And yeah, okay. he did. Huh? All right. Yeah, and uh, that that was his first Doctor Who. All right, I I thought he had. <laughs> all right. Of course, he directed Zed Cars. All of these actors were on Zed Cars, and all of these directors all directed episodes of Zed Cars. It's it is the. Uh, it is the uh, wellspring from which uh, Doctor <laughs> Who always seems to come as yeah, Zed cars. I, I, I have to say that I'm a Zed car virgin. I, 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 um, it, just, it was never shown in the States, and I never had an, an opportunity to watch it. I've just seen little bits and pieces of them. I think that they, that they suffered the same fate as so much of uh, uh, missing early Doctor Who did, yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, The Sea Devils uh, was written by Malcolm Hulk and uh, produced at the time was Barry Letts. And um, Taron Sticks is the script editor, which um, if you have the DVD, he, he and Barry Letts and, um, and, and Michael Bryant, uh, Bryant all do the commentary on, which is interesting mm. if, if you have that opportunity to, to listen to that, which we always recommend. And as, as Lee has just said, it has a long list of... Um, of, of guest stars, which is, um, I'm not going to go through them all, but, uh, I, you know, a few of them I would, you know, that had major roles, I would say Clive Morton, who played uh, Trenchard. Trenchard. I, and I should also make a mention that uh, many of these uh, guest stars, uh, their their names were actually names of, of, um, of Navy ships. There's the HMS Trenchard uh, was a ship that, and so... He's playing, um, huh. he, he, you know, him um, uh, along with um, Walker, who's uh, played by Martin Bodie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we have, um, well, we've, we've int- we had um, interviews with him in the past. He's, he's Terry Walsh is a stunt person, a stand-in for, um, for John Pertwee many times, and he's in this as well. Not playing a major role, but um, playing Barclay. Stuart Fell is um, mm-hmm. he, he's in, he's he's playing a shorter um, sea devil in this, but he's uh, probably known mostly for uh, he, he, his call to fame in Doctor Who might be Alpha Centauri, who's uh, another <laughs> well-known uh, creature from um, ambassador from the, from the Third Doctor's era. But this Stuart is one of Fell his is early, also credited. Yeah, it's one of his early um, episodes. This um, the, the Sea Devils, if, if not his first. I should make a point out: the Sea Devils was sh- was actually shot uh, production-wise. It was shot um, third in this series, but it was shown. I mean, it was shot second, but it was shown third because they were trying to balance out the series so that um, you would have a good mix between Earthbound stories and off-world adventures. So, um, so this mm. was the first time that. Doctor, the first time in Doctor Who history that the show was shown out of production order. So they they showed um, um, the, the the Curse of Peladin came was actually shot after this, and they transmitted it before this. So when Stuart Phil does this, he has no idea that what's coming next for him is Alpha Centauri. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's credited as the uh, as the uh, stunt coordinator for uh, the serial for sea devils and uh so i have to assume that's him in uh, episode six as the sea devil who takes the fall off the top of the building and i 
I've always loved that um, he was a stuntman named Fell. That's just, <laughs> it's just wonderful. Yeah. I, well, we had a um, TV TV series in uh, in these in the U.S. called The Fall Guy, right? Which that's was, right. Yeah, exactly. Which was all about stunt. <laughs> Stuart people. was the Fell Guy. <laughs> I've got more trivia about these actors. If yes, yes, uh, please jump in. Go for it. This is the it's. Uh, from my background in the theater, I'm always interested in who wrote it and who's in it. You know, that's what I want to know about these episodes. Um, yeah, you, you mentioned uh, Clive Morton and Martin Bodie, who have done lots and lots of television. Captain Hart here is Edwin Richfield, who uh, I recognize because he was on six different episodes of the uh, Avengers series, always playing these same kinds of guys. The uh, well, I'll, I'll I'll take care of this. You know, the the guy you can count on in a in a in a clinch mm -hmm. we'll see him again as Mestor in Twin Dilemma ah. I was also interested in his um, his secretary there third officer Jane Blythe um, my eye goes straight to a, a pretty face like that but if you if you keep watching that character I just think she, she's wonderful this uh, yes. this actress yeah. is June Murphy um, I just love her uh, her seething when uh, when Walker comes in and talks to her like she's eight years old and throws his coat at her that she's just about to say something to him it's it's really great um yeah, and i was saying man I exactly you could really see the level of tongue biting go up there i was thinking wouldn't it be great to see her in another doctor who and so i looked her up on imdb and she was in another doctor who hooray but it's fury from the deep <laughs> she hadn't done much after that so it's um it's a shame but i think she did a great job in the character and like you said when walker came in this was the early 70s and she's a third officer and she you know um she i mean she had she there, there are people under her in this installation and then walker comes in and is treating her more like uh, like a secretary or you know and and you know get me some breakfast you know and uh, here take my coat good morning my dear captain hart here no sir he's at sea well, I suppose this is the right place for a sailor, eh? What's your name? Blythe, sir. Walker. Parliamentary private secretary. Any chance of any breakfast? I'll call the steward, sir. Excellent. And, uh, who are you? Leading to Legravis Bowman, sir. Jolly good. Uh, nothing very elaborate, my dear. Just um, eggs, bacon, toast, coffee, or a little rough cut and marmalade, if they've got it. Uh, how long's he likely to be, Captain Hart, I mean? I don't know, sir. Oh. Well, now, I tell you what, you get him on your jolly old wireless and ask him to come over here at the double, will you? Send a signal to Captain Hart. Tell him that a Mr. Walker is here to see him. Parliamentary private secretary. Uh, aye, aye, sir. I'll call the steward. Ah, and get me the morning papers, will you? There's a good girl. If I may ask, sir, what is the purpose of your visit? Why, all those ships sinking. I've come down to clear it up for you. Minister's put me in full charge. Yes, I, yeah, I noticed that too, and I, I, I really liked uh, the scene that she had um, with, let's see, I, the, she had brought um, Katie Manning's care, Joe, uh, she brought Joe breakfast, and the doctor took what she had and said, you know, Joe, don't eat, and then he winds up eating it, and then she goes and gets Joe something else to eat. Totally different circumstance, but, you know, little bitty tidbits like that, I like that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and we see, speaking of eating, we see the doctor eating 
um, probably more in this episode than we see him in much other uh, stories where um, he, he's taking bites of these sandwiches. Both, well, first he's in, in the middle of fencing with uh, the master. He's uh, he's eating the sandwich and he, he just like takes the right. whole quarter of it and just sticks it in his mouth. And then later there's the scene that you just mentioned right when he's eating sandwiches and didn't leave any for Joe. That's a joke from uh, The Importance of Being Earnest, too. So one feels they almost need to credit Oscar Wilde for the, the sandwich scene. <laughs> and, you know, I can't help but mention every time I, uh, I saw uh, John Pertwee in the black jacket with the red interior, I couldn't help but see Capaldi. You know, and there were, there, there were so this is the first time I've watched anything with uh, the third doctor since the 12th doctor came about. Yeah. And there, there is so, so much of the uh, in my opinion, of the third doctor and the 12th. I mean, the, yeah. I, I knew, you know, he used, uh, you know, uh, the third and a little bit of the first and some of the fourth a little bit. But, you know, I really saw a lot of the. Uh, Capaldi doctor and John Pertwee's doctor. So, well, I, I when his first his first outing as the doctor, I saw a lot of Pertwee in him. You know, um, you know, a, after his um, regeneration and recovering from that, it was very much um, similar to. It reminded me very much, you know, of um, John Pertwee's regeneration and, and coming out of it, and um, mm. you know, there, there are a lot of parallels that can be drawn there. So we should make a mention yeah, I think that this is um, a sequel to an earlier story of John Pertwee, uh, The Silurians, Doctor Who and the Silurians, which we reviewed a couple, two years ago, three years ago. And uh, um, so it's a long time coming for this, for this story here. In fact, it was originally titled The Sea Silurians because these are supposed to be a cousins um, of the Silurians that we saw, not a... In another um, another race of beings from that same era of the Solarians. So, um, and then it was changed to the Sea Devils because it sounded more um, more menacing and more adventurous, I guess. And this is one a monster from classic that we've not seen. Yeah, you know, I mean, I know, of course, with Vastra and then the other stories, we've seen the Solarians, but but we've never seen the Sea Devils again. But even um, when we've seen the Solarians, you know, in recent years. I still see them as maybe yet another sister race or cousin race of, of the original Slorians because they do look so much different than the original Slorians. True. So I, mm. I almost see them as a, another um, offshoot of that same, you know, from the, from the same era of the Earth, you know, from that time. But yeah, it's, I, you know, I feel we may see them yet. It'd be actually, you know, I was thinking that it would be really interesting for them to for the sea devils for this race to return uh, because i mean what they could do now like we what we saw in time heist with um that mind sifter creature i don't remember the name um uh, the teller the, the teller, teller yes they, i mean yeah. what they were able to achieve with the prosthetics um and 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 the um and the you know eyes or stalks or whatever i mean they, um they've come a long way where um, I think what they did with the Solarians back here in the early 70s was remarkable for the time period. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I, I think it was genius that they um, that their heads are really on the top of the actors' heads, so they have elongated mm. necks, and that's where the obviously the actors, or the stunt people in this case, actually 
their heads are, but it just looked like they have long necks with big Adam's apples. <laughs> but um, right. <laughs> but I, I th think they did a great job because, um, you know, it, it it just made them look more menacing. You know, they, they had a humanoid shape, but it was still different enough that it didn't immediately look just like, you know, some human wearing a mask. So I, I think it was a great idea. Um, obviously, the eyes weren't blinking, but it would be nice if they were able to do that. And when they did talk, you know, it wasn't, um, you know, I mean, I, again, they were limited to the time and what they had available. But I, I think for the time that they did it, it was um, it was um, something that, that um, um, was remarkable for that for that time period. Even the, the, the guns, they weren't traditional um, long, narrow things that we associate being guns. These were like these discs that they had and they fired. Um, I mean, today you look at them, they look like CDs, but they're not, this was before <laughs> compact discs were invented. So it wasn't, you know, it's just coincidence that it has a similar look to it. But again, yeah. um, something original. And originally they were, like the original Solorians, they, they, they didn't wear clothes. So um, the director here, Michael Bryant, had insisted that, that they had that they should be clothed because any um, any society any civilization that that is um, uh, that has a, a, um, that's I don't know if you want to say civilized or have uh, are intelligent enough that they're going to be taken over and using guns and all that they most likely are going to be wearing clothes too so um, sort of as a last minute thing they they put together these nets um, this netting costume that they're wearing. Um, which I guess served the purpose of them wearing clothes. Looked a little odd, but I, I mean, I get the point. Yeah. yeah. And, and their faces were based on sea turtles. If the, 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 the face of the, because they have these beaks and the, and the, and those big eyes are very much like sea turtles. Now, if I had to compare the, uh, original Solarians and the sea devils as far as the face goes sea devils i like theirs better much better oh yeah yeah well you know this is yeah. um they had some time to improve i guess on it but like you said then we haven't seen we didn't see them again until what was it the worries of, of the deep uh the 1983 right. story with uh, the fifth doctor which i haven't seen in in so long so um i don't know they, they it would be interesting to see them come back and see them realized better today yeah, I would love that. And Malcolm Hulk will get a credit. Yes, yeah. And um, unfortunately, um, I, I mean, he's he's unfortunately he's no longer with us. But it, it's great right. that um, you know, he, he's uh, one of those names that is always associated <laughs> with Doctor Who. Yeah, I, I love the BBC way of doing that. That you know, whenever we see Daleks, Terry Nation gets a credit. Whenever there's right. Cybermen, Kid Peddler gets a credit. Yeah. So if we had when we have Silurians. I, I assume Malcolm Hulk has an estate. They're still getting a they're still getting a nickel every time somebody says Silurian. So, <laughs> Silurian. even their Eocenes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So um, this has the master in it as well. So um, I think <laughs> I got side I got sidetracked when I was going off with the cast there. So obviously, uh, Roger Delgado is back as as Missy. I mean, as the master. <laughs> Say something nice. I was waiting yeah. for that. 
uh, Roger Delgar is always my favorite. Um, uh, well, he's, I mean, he's the original master, but he's always been my favorite um, interpretation of the master, um, you know, which, um, I mean, he basically paved the path for the other actors to play the role. Before, okay, I've got to say this. Go are, 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 you, are you saying that he was... He played the part, and I know this is cheesy. Mm. Are you are you saying that he played it masterfully? Yes, masterfully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I am full of corny jokes tonight. Sorry about that. Mr. Trenchard sent me, sir, to say if you wanted your book changed. That's very kind of him, but um, I haven't quite finished yet. Right, you are, sir. Just a minute. You're new here, aren't you? Arrived yesterday, sir. Wait. You know who I am. You're the prisoner. I am the master. Come here. I am the master, and you will obey me. You understand? You will obey me. Y'all let us know when you finish with the book, sir. You know, but it's interesting watching him now because I'm. I'm because we've seen, we've seen so many other actors and actresses now to play that part since, and it's interesting now watching it how um, you know where you could see maybe other bits where where the other actors might have pulled stuff from him, you know where um, you know and um, even like the the latest interpretation, um, uh, Gomez, um, uh, Michelle, Michelle Gomez, uh, you know where she's sort of reserved, but then. Occasionally, you, you can see that she's a little bonkers. And even here, you know, in, in the early... St- you know, I always said that, you know, Roger Delgado wasn't, you know, kept that all... You know, he was very dignified and, and didn't... But but if there, there are certain things, you know, where you can see where that comes from, you know, um, where you can see he's a little bonkers, but he's not over the top with it. You know, it's very understated, which, which I like. Mm. And, um, you know, there's... Um, there's even a scene here where he's watching uh, some sort of children's programs, and, and he's he's thinking he's taking it for legitimately, you know, some sort of alien race, whatever, you know, some sort of about alien, you know, little creatures, and um, and he had to be told he had he had to be told that it was a children's program, uh, something that they certainly echo very curious later on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's watching the clangers here, and uh, and then uh, John Sims' master will watch uh, Teletubbies. Yes, yeah, that's it. And, uh, <laughs> so yeah, this is where that joke gets seated, and that'll come up later. Uh, Interesting extraterrestrial life form. Only puppets, you know, for children. Oh. Yeah, you can't. I just, yeah, I'm with you, Lewis. I just, I can never say enough good things about Roger Delgado's master. And I, I, the, the more time goes by, just the more I miss him. And uh, yeah, it's a I, shame, uh, um, you know, because we lost him during the actual production of the series. He was in a, a yeah. Car accident. Yeah, exactly. And we lost him, and they're, they're, um, you know, unfortunately, I, I, that was um, 
before I got into Doctor Who myself. So, you know, I, I never got a chance, you know, to to meet him in any way or shape or form because of that. Well, people I, I know, people whose, you know, the interviews I've read who who did know him say that, like a lot of other great screen villains, of course, in real life, he was the nicest oh, guy yeah, in the whole world. Oh, yeah, they were saying that he's sort of so and, uh, sweet. Yeah. But he's... But, um, uh, my golly, he could be scary. No, he's yeah. a he's a great actor. And here, if you if you listen to um, the commentaries or uh, some of the behind the scenes stuff, uh, you know, documentaries that's included on the DVD here, you'll learn that he's he, he couldn't swim and he was very frightened of the water. Yet watching this, you would never know that because um, you know he, he he's an actor, a consummate actor, and he you know oh. it um, you know so he. You know, he seems very natural out on the water, even though in reality it's something that he would rather have avoided. Hmm. Especially so as the. Go ahead. I guess that's not him on the jet ski and that big chase at the end, then. That's a, the, well, there's stunt people there, but I think when yeah. you see, he, he initially runs onto one, I think that's him running onto one. And then. Oh, yeah. That um, would still be hard, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, and, and, you know, one of his most playful parts of the entire serial was at the very end where the master escapes and he's waving playfully <laughs> still you know on the water yeah. you know with that waving that back on top bye. right that's right <laughs> I, I you know i didn't do the spoiler alert, but you know obviously because we're talking about the ending now so Oops. obviously no no it's not yeah. your fault i it, it's 43 <laughs> it's years been 43 years so yeah. <laughs> spoilers but if you haven't seen it yet if you haven't seen um the sea devils you may want to stop listening until you have um that's because right. uh you know that, that's that's your warning now uh but yeah it has a great <laughs> ending it's where where the the, the master has the last laugh we are asked to believe that he apparently carries a mask of himself in his pocket yes. at all times. Yeah, I, I thought guess, of that. Which, I, I thought of that uh, too. Well, I, you know, yes, the <laughs> tissue compression eliminator. So it was a little That's mask, right. and he just enlarged it. You know, so he he, he blows it up. He just see, up. He has, <laughs> these problems are always solvable. You <laughs> his pockets are bigger That's on the inside. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, you see, yeah, it's always an, an explanation in <laughs> sci-fi <laughs> fantasy. We can make yes, that work. Yeah. yeah, we can make it work. So. Yeah. This, if I'm, I think I'm right about this, that Malcolm Hulk's script here then gets to plant the seed that the Doctor and the Master used to be friends. Yeah. Um, I think this is the first time school, that that's mentioned. You know, you could, you, the, doctor say, the Doctor said, yeah, he could, um, you could say that we were school chums or something like that. You were, we were yeah, schoolmates. Yeah, right. Um, and, and he, and it's, it's so interesting to watch the, the two of them treat each other with respect throughout mm -hmm. all of this but and it's one of the things i love about roger delgado's master but they do not trust each other yeah i was gonna say cautious so respect. there's, there's yeah, the, the first scene exactly. where they, they meet they, well first of all the concept of the master being imprisoned is great you know because um yeah this picks up after um when we last saw the master the demons or daemons um he was in he was a uh, court and uh, imprisoned then so now they have the 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 you know just the idea that that he's uh imprisoned somewhere on earth which is similar to uh the third doctor himself the third doctor is uh imprisoned on mm -hmm. earth so um in in a larger sense because here you see oh well the doctor's free and roaming and all that but in a sense the time lords have imprisoned him on earth too so um there's a little duality there going on there uh but when they first go up and they uh, they check on the master, and you know um, he's in, he's in um, 
he's in this um, military installation where he's imprisoned. And, um, and as you were saying, there's a certain respect, but untrust or distrust to, towards each other. And at the end, when they were saying goodbye, the master extended his hand and the doctor almost shook it, but then took his hand back. And I thought that was a great <laughs> yeah. scene, which, which wasn't scripted. It was something that they did in rehearsals and they kept it in. Oh, I yeah. thought that was a kind of a nice touch there. Okay. Those, those are two actors who really know their roles. Oh yeah, yeah. It's in a, in a story like this, I, I just I just couldn't take my eye off the two of them when they're when they're when they're in scenes where they're playing with these actors who are wearing these uh, these masks, and I, I'm reminded again that in a show like this, so much of the burden for keeping the audience involved for for maintaining the credibility of the story comes down to these actors. If they're fully invested in what's going on, if they are. If they are mm-hmm. really in the moment and and saying, okay, these are representatives of a of a, a progenitor race that's been on the earth for millions of years, and they want their planet back, you know, as long as you keep that in your mind, then they're going to play the scene that way, and we're going to believe it too. If for a second we could see that they're playing, you know, yeah. that they're yeah. acting, it all falls apart. But you watch uh, John Pertwee and Roger Delgado in these scenes, and they are the Doctor and the Master. There's no. There's no chink in it at all. It's um, uh, it's just it's it's awe inspiring to watch them. Absolutely, yeah. Outside of the um, the sea devils being um, uh, the, the way they've been designed and all that, uh, another change in this in this episode was that the music was electronic music. It was experimental at that time. Um, I, I think at the time it felt it was. I think they felt it was too different, and um, and at times it 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 didn't work as um, didn't work well in certain scenes. But I, I thought. It set the tone, and it was very—I um, don't know—had had this very alien, mysterious quality to it, which um, I always aso- associate with the story when I when I hear that. It's—I uh, I should give credit to it's—it's it's, um, the music is um, is Malcolm Clark. Clark. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things we we just we'd have to go back to 1972 and hear it for the first time. I it just drives me nuts. I can't yes. stand this music. But I wonder what it sounded like on, on people's ears in 1972. Was it the most thrilling thing ever? I, you know, we're we're just too far out from it to know. It's Well, yeah. let, let, let me follow up on what you just said. <laughs> how it sounds on people's ears. I wear hearing aids. And let me tell you this, I took them out while yeah. I uh <laughs> while I was listening to it because it had a feedback believe it or not with oh. every time they played that music i got feedback and i oh, said really? okay you know i'm watching i've got my closed caption going i'm fine i took them out and um you know i was fine without them but uh it did with something in the it, it reverberated a little bit mm-hmm. and get, and caused some feedback so I, I, that was that was a comment I was going to make about the music and when it, and then when you said uh, how it sounded to someone I was like okay you know perfect time <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's right yeah I thought it was hurting my ears I have no idea I can... 
Yeah, it was um, all electronic. There was uh, there there was um, another um, mus- another um, composer that was originally lined up, but he had fallen ill, and um, and, Ma- and Malcolm Clark had right. stepped in and did this experimental um, you know electronic score for it. So um, I, I you know there's certain scenes like most notably um, when Joe is going through um, this air duct. And the, the I thought the music there just didn't really fit the scene at all. It was, mm. I, again, you know, this was the early 70s and they were just, you know, they were experimenting with it. And uh, so I think in certain, I, I thought the menacing theme, you know, there's a um, certain track that, um, the, 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 I guess, that I associated with the Sea Devils, I think worked very well. But um, like I said, some parts work better than others. Yeah, it'd be really amazing if they had, you know, hit it out of the ballpark the first time, having never done a score like this before. So, I, I think there was there was more to it at the time. I remember, you know, doing a review on another story where, um, you know, I, I think they wanted to do something different and experimental, but they couldn't at that time. They just didn't have it. It took too long to do, and the the, the technology just wasn't there. Um, it might have been, an, I don't know if it was an earlier Pertwee story. Um, so it, this was something that was was coming at, at a certain point. When the technology got to the point where it did in, in the early 70s, then they were able to do it. But I remember, um, again, we were reviewing some other episode, some other story, and I can't recall now which was which one it was, but it was, um, it was meant to be, uh, they, they meant to do an electronic theme on another story, but they just didn't. That the technology just wasn't there to do it in the in the time allowed to do it. You know, when you think of the master and you think of the third doctor and Joe and on and, and, and an Earthbound story, naturally you think of Unit and the Brigadier. But Unit and the Brigadier are not in the story at all. In fact, the only represents representatives of Unit are um, the, are the Doctor and Joe herself. You know, so instead of the, the military presence here is the Royal Navy. Um, so they, they're sort of standing in on, you know, um, this time instead of the, the brigadier. And so th- there's some parallels that we can talk about, you know, going back to the first story of the Silurians, where uh, the military decides that, you know, the only way to, um, to prevent, you know, this uh, race of recapturing the Earth and eliminating mankind is to eliminate them. So we, we sort of have that struggle re- you know, um, revisited in this story as well. Um, it would have been interesting to, I would have been very interested to see how, how this would have played out if the Brigadier had been a character in this, because Silurians ends with the Brigadier, you know, uh, from the doctor's point of view, deciding arbitrarily to commit genocide. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so now we're encountering the, the sister race again, the, the, the tension between him and the doctor would have been a major part of the story that, um, and and so, I also, I think that would actually have just, you know, added layers to the story. So I mean, I I, I would have rather have had the brigadier. Uh, yeah, it would it would have been a different story. There's a, I don't think there's any way, unless they sort of pretended like the the end of Silurians didn't happen, you know. And uh, well, what's interesting I is that you know the the doctor was very upset at the end of the Silurians that the brigadier had chosen to do what he did, and um, and here. The doctor is forced to do it himself, you know, right. and which which is interesting, you know. Um, so you know, maybe he has, 
you know, uh, reconsidered maybe what the brigadier had done. And um, but he he was trying to find some sort of negotiation between the sea devils, and he was looking for some room to negotiate with them, but they just weren't having it. Yep, he does everything he can. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a heartbreaking moment when the doctor has is setting up his his bomb, you know, and he and he says to the the Salarian leader, "You're there's no no way to change your mind," and he says, "No," he says, mm-hmm. "I'm sorry," you know, and we know what he means when he says, "I'm sorry." Mm-hmm. Um, so um, many of the of the the people that we see are playing the navy are actually navy people. The the navy um, obliged the BBC by. Um, allowing them to use um, so that you know to come aboard their vessels and um, and and many of the um, for instance the hovercraft when everyone's coming out shooting those are actually navy people when um, when they find the doctor originally with a magnifying glass on on the shore with you know inspecting a, a, one of the boats there all the, um, all the the military people that come there are all navy people and. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it was um, it was interesting for John Pertwee as a former Navy person, and he's also was known for another show that he did called the the Navy Lock, which was a a comedy show uh, where he, he you know he, he worked on, uh, but they, they they all had um, I think they all got on very well because they uh, they spoke the same language if you were, so it, it was interesting seeing um, you know something working so well with between the production team and, and what the results were on screen, you know, with um, some of the, the footage that you see, the stock footage was supplied by, you know, the Royal Navy to, um, you know, to the Doctor Who program. An interesting side, side note for the production was, um, and again, you'll learn this if you watch the DVD commentaries or the, the um, behind-the-scenes stuff, is that the submarine that they had shown in this series in this in this episode was actually something a model kit that they had gotten from Werworths and they painted it black to make it a nuclear to make it to make it a nuclear submarine and that there's a propeller that was on it that was a um a, a two fin propeller whatever and it just didn't look real didn't look right so uh they had the prop man change it to uh to a a, a multi-prop propeller and um to make it look more realistic and after this show went out, after the series went out, a couple of weeks later, two military people came, two Navy people came to the BBC, and um, I don't know if it was, I guess they wanted, was it the director or Barry Letts that they spoke to? And they said, you know, they, they had to question them how, you know, how did you um, come about this, this submarine with the propellers and all that? It turned out, coincidentally, that they, um, the actual secret, secret, um, uh, submarine, you know, the nuclear submarine that the that the Royal Navy had was similar, had the same you know propellers, and therefore uh, it could be tr- you know once once they know how many propellers, I don't know the technology here, but they they can track it sonar, you know, via sonar, uh, depending on how many propellers it has. So somehow they constantly had the same amount of propellers. Yeah, there's a story about something similar to that happening <laughs> in the, after the Star Trek pilot after the cage is being aired. And- uh, of uh, somebody coming around from the American Navy saying, "Hey, that's that's the bridge design of our new aircraft carriers." And <laughs> really, I, I don't I don't know if that's that's an apocryphal story. I don't uh-huh. I don't know if that's true or not. But yeah, huh. I was just glad to see a uh, all this um, submarine model work on a British TV show because it looked like Stingray to me. And 
I just enjoy anything that looks like Stingray. So <laughs> the master would have enjoyed watching Stingray. <laughs> so th- th- this was a, I, I thought this was a, a classic John Pertwee story. You know, he's known for uh, being a very action oriented doctor. So, you know, um, you know, we, we have hovercrafts and jet ski speed boats and diving bells. And, you know, um, I, I thought this and fencing, you know, the, him and the master sought fencing at, at one point. Of course, they have fencing swords situated right outside the prisoner's door, prisoner's room yeah. in, in this um, mm-hmm. military installation, which is uh, kind of bizarre. Yeah. But again, as they do, <laughs> we have to overlook these things. See, <laughs> <No. laughs> so we have to remember also that the uh, master, quote unquote, really wasn't a prisoner. Yes, this is true. He it was all a ruse. Right. Because he had control of everyone there. Um, as far as production goes, um, some tip of the hat there to uh, to Batman with some of the tilted shots there that we see um, when, when they first go to this um, fort and where uh, you have two uh, workers, maintenance people there, and, um, and, and the doctor and Joe show up there, and, and that's when they first encounter the Sea Devils. Uh, there's uh, some sh- corridor shots with the camera on an angle there, which... Uh, most notably was done in, in the few years before that in, you know, in the Batman series. And just, uh, I thought it was interesting to do because it just kind of puts you a little bit off your access and mm-hmm. <laughs> one way. Um, so it, I, I think it, it worked well. They didn't overdo it. They just did it in those, in those scenes there. No, they, they sort of, they do it in those first scenes and then drop it. But yeah, I, I'm glad you, mm-hmm. you mentioned that. Cause I noticed that too. That's Me called too. a Dutch tilt. I don't know why. I don't know why that's a Dutch tilt, but that's what it's called. <laughs> I think uh, fans of Forbidden Planet will enjoy all the uh, shots of people melting holes in the door. I, uh, I yes, like that yeah. a lot. Yeah, that uh, inevitably made me think of Forbidden Planet. So I mean, I, I really enjoyed the story. I thought it was, um, I mean, it was six parts. I think um, maybe if it was made today, they might have um, kind of um, trimmed it down to and, and got rid of some of the excess and made it more coherent, maybe to a four-part story. But, you know, it's one thing that was great about the series at that time was that they had the luxury of doing these longer stories that had maybe more complex storytelling where, you know, they're... um, Oh, and, you know, because I had mentioned they were on this um, fort, which was originally supposed to be an oil rig, and then it it was going to be too... Too uh, complex to do an oil rig, an oil rig shoot because um, well, first of all, <clears throat> and this this goes this is kind of telling from the, t- the time error that this was taking place. Um, there was some sort of rules about women being on oil rigs, and Joe, uh, Katie Manning wouldn't have been able to to be on one or something like that. And um, so anyway, because of the complications involved, they they change it to the sea fort, which I think worked well or worked better. Um, uh, I think it just was one of those fortuitous things that um, I think worked out well in the end. It does. It's a very interesting location to look at, and and I think they make really good use of it. Um, Absolutely. And I think and I think it worked in story. You know, they had the part where uh, one of the reasons that they found that Joe and the doctor had been he- taken captive was because they didn't return. Uh, it was at the, uh, the vehicle that they were using. Yes. Right. It's sort of um, they were missing ships so, going on at the time. Right. So. So, I mean, you know, they they worked it into the story. So, I mean, it it worked. 
yeah, I mean they they had to they had to bring the bring them out there for some reason. So you know the um you know the the, the sea devils was, was for some reason were you know um you know whatever they were doing to uh, the, the, to these ships they were doing it. In my mind's eye, I think it would have looked a little bit more menacing if they had have been on the oil rig and you would have mm. seen these hands coming out of the water, climbing up the uh, side of the thing as opposed to coming out of the water. So, yeah. I mean, visually, you know, that might have been a little bit more menacing, scary, all that good stuff. Yeah. So in the new series, Sea Devils episode that we're uh, that we're advocating, there you uh, go. Going to be set in an oil rig. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, um, with uh, and, and sh- I don't know. Um, you don't have captains on oil rigs. Whoever, whatever title the, the whoever runs the oil rig should be a woman. <laughs> just to, just to yeah, set things exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Then, then then we'll know what year it is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh, you know, that reminds me, I meant to mention this earlier. One of the guys on, on the fort in episode one is Declan Mulholland, um, who we'll see again on Doctor Who, and uh, he, he's in Androids of Tara. But um, I'm always happy to see him because he, he's an actor. He could have been one of the icons of the Star Wars universe if his scenes hadn't been cut. Declan Mulholland was Jabba the Hutt. Ah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and um, so you know, he, then the decision he's, he's was the made. He's the heavy set guy. That's. Yeah, you know he yeah. he kind of it's, it's kind of to the ground. It's kind of weird because you know watching it, sort of, you know he sort of looks familiar, but it's one of yeah. Those... Where have I seen that guy? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you yeah, if you've seen the original uh, yeah. New Hope, then mm-hmm. in, in which Job is not a giant slug, but a a humanoid. A humanoid, yeah. He's, yeah. So, yeah we saw Declan Mulholland got a raw deal. He could have been. <laughs> There, there are no action figures of Declan Mulholland, you know? Yeah, I know. Even Big Starklight, I got an action figure in most of his... That's stuff. right. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. It's coming towards us! Stop, my friends! Stop! He's been... He's dead. They killed him. Give him the sea... The sea... Sea devil! Come on, Joe, quick. Give me a hand. You've got to, got to get him into that cat. Pickman! Come on, Come on. Come on. Yes. Sea devil! Yeah, I, I thought the, the cast was done, the, the acting was um, really on spot. I didn't have a problem with any of the acting. Um, you know, it was interesting. Um, speaking of actors, unfortunately, um, two of the um, major secondary roles, uh, Clive, you know, Clive Morton, who played Trenchard, and um, and um, the actor that played Walker, Martin Bodie, both within um, three years had passed away after this. So um, that's, yeah. that's that's a bit unfortunate. But um, but yeah, like, you know, Walker comes in as this honcho and. Um, you know, he, he wants his breakfast and all that. And then later we see him and he's, when it comes down to it, he, he's, he's a bit of a wimp, you know, he's like, oh, well, we shouldn't really make any waves. Uh, isn't the doctor going to be taking care of this? Um, they might, they might take it out on, on the innocence on us here or something. Right. There'll be reprisals. (laughs) Right. There's, there's a moment where he's actually hiding behind Joe. And I just thought that was wonderful. (laughs) But uh, yeah, and then when he gets when he gets his power back, then well, he's saying massive nuclear strikes—the yes. <laughs> only way. What a great line that is! Yeah. 
So he's in the wrong movie. He needs to be in Aliens. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, yeah, I was writing down uh, lines from Parliamentary Private Secretary Walker. It's just he gets to say, "Murder, war always is, my dear." Now, where's that girl with my toast? What a great line. And I'm the idiot you've just been talking about. <laughs> and an idiot he was. <laughs> he's he's something else. What are you doing? We are going to put this table underneath that ventilation hatch and try to open it. Supposing you'll get caught? They might take reprisals against the innocent. A screwdriver. Joe, over there on the bench somewhere. Don't you think we ought to leave these things to the doctor? He said we ought to come off. Talk it underneath. Underneath the bench. Look, he's uh, he's not going to try and trick them, is he? This could have the most dreadful consequences. He, he, he made them a promise, you know. Yes, in order to save our lives. Do you mind? Which, you know, this is, this is Malcolm Hulk's uh, interest in politics at work. His, uh, his scripts will always have these characters who have more power than one feels they ought to have. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I kind of think in the Silurians, it's, it's the Brigadier is the mm -hmm. one who gets to be the, yeah. receive the, the Malcolm Hulk treatment. And I, and I really liked the doctor's re response to him when he ordered the attack. He said, uh, and he was bragging about the fact that he had destroyed them. And the doctor says, you have not destroyed them. You made them angry. And then yeah. emphasized very, very yeah. angry. Very, very angry. Yes, it's great. <laughs> so overall. Well, right, we, we, there's, there's like an elephant in the room here. We're not talking about it. This, okay, uh, this, is, <laughs> this is the episode from which comes. I reversed the polarity of the neutron, neutron flow. Is this the origin? Of ah. it? Is this the first time he's used yeah. that? Really? Well, yeah. That's well, obviously in episode I, six. I, I recognized it yeah. when he said it, but I didn't realize this was the yeah. the first one. Wow. Ne never said before, and I somebody's going to call in and, and correct me on this, but I think he never actually says it. In, ex in those exact words yeah, I think again. He, he, so this is really the only time I reverse the polarity of the neutron flow. Yeah, he, he, I but, mean, he's he's used neutron flow since then, but I think he's he changed it about changed it changed it uh, you know a bit. He mixed it up a little bit. Yeah, that's interesting. Huh. Once they see that the device works properly, they'll release me. I very much doubt it. You see, before you reactivated it, I reversed the polarity of the neutron flow. You realize what will happen? Oh, yes. You? Well, there'll be a massive reverse feedback into their whole power system. Exactly. In about um, ten minutes from now, the whole place should go up. Enjoy your revenge. <sighs> Guards! Guards, come back! You must release me! I must talk to your chief! Let me out! We're all in danger! Let me out! self-destructing mechanism into the main control switch. You can't turn it off. But we'll both be killed. That's right. Unless we can both escape. <laughs> 
But And he's talking about the master's machine, and I have to confess this. I'm not 100% sure, after watching this again, what the master's machine was supposed to do exactly. Me neither. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Was, <laughs> well, that's a relief. <laughs> well, it, it seemed like a, initially it seemed like it was something that he could he was using to control the sea devils, I thought, you know, but I don't think yes. it really conveyed, you know, it didn't really solidify as far as um, what, what this really was meant to do, you know. And then, um, you know, then, of course, the doctor gets his hands on it and, um, you know, <laughs> puts the input where the output should go. And <laughs> right. oops, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, it's as simple as that. And, uh, and the master speaking, doesn't hey, hey, on. Speak, speaking of reverse the polarity, he only said the full phrase uh, twice. He said it uh, on the Sea Devils, which is what we're reviewing, and he said it again on the 20th anniversary Five Doctors. Yeah, I was going to ah, say probably on one of the anniversary doctor, ones. Because yeah. well, by that time, he was so I, known for it. Right, that's it. It, it becomes his catchphrase, but yeah. he really didn't say it that often. It's a, well, it's just like beam me up, spot. Beam me up, Scotty. Beam me up, Scotty. Exactly. It was never said. Yeah. You know, he 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 said <laughs> things similar to that, but never right those exact never words. Actually, you know, in, in the original series. But I, I miss John Pertwee. I mean, I, um, you know, back in the eighties, you know, I, I saw him a few times at conventions, and you know, anytime now watching. A John Pertwee story. I sort of, you know, it puts me in the mindset of that time era. Um, you know, the show was very different back then. And, and, and again, um, I'm not putting down the show today, but it was, you know, because when you, you know, if, if you think about it, you know, the John Pertwee era is very much different than um, the William Hartnell era, and um, you know, and the, the the Tom Baker era is very different than the. Um, the, the, the Pat Troughton era, you know, because every, you know, every doctor and every producer, you know, it's it's that's what keeps the show going is that change. It changes and regenerates itself and all that. But it's just that the show today is so outside of that, out, outside. of I mean, the differences that the show is made for today's audience besides that, it's just right now it's it's so mainstream, if you will, especially here in the States, you know, if um you mean it was very easy for John Pertwee to come to the states or Patrick Troughton or um, at the time, you know, and and do a convention and and make it an intimate affair, you know, and it's where you just have um, a few hundred or a few thousand people, you know, well maybe a few hundred people. Um, I I don't know. It, it just and and again, it's not it's not putting down conventions today. It's just that the it's just a a, a different beast, if you will, today. You know. Sure. If, if if you had um, Matt Smith or Peter Capaldi coming to do a convention today, you, it's sort of like um, you know the San Diego Comic Con. It's just you, you just got right. cr- masses of crowds, and it's just mm. you, you just can't get that same feeling or, or that same intimate atmosphere that you did back you know back in the day in the, in the '80s with Doctor Who fandom, and, and uh, you know so. John Pertwee sort of personifies that for me because I some of the best Doctor Who conventions I remember are the ones, especially with uh, Patrick Troughton and John Pertwee there together because they were always, you know, because they had this on-screen, um, you know, persona <laughs> where they were going at each other all the time and they carried it over at conventions and they were had this rivalry and, you know, and you know it was all they were playing, but it, it was just um, sure. one of those things. That, it added to the it, it added to the whole experience. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I would love to have seen that. 
Well, I would have loved to have seen either one of them. Yeah. Either one of but I, I think Kyle put his finger right on it too. What a what a what a delight it is to see Peter Capaldi uh, just sort of touch on John Pertwee every now and then, and uh, the way they've called him back in the costume and so on. It's just. Uh, yeah, I, I think you know, um, I think what's to come with Peter Capaldi is going to be really interesting. I think that, uh, you know, we we've got a taste of his Doctor so far, but I think it's only the first season. It's only the first year that we've had. I think um, yeah. he can really flesh it out and. Um, make it his own, you know, while, while still drawing from past doctors and, and still kind of um, develop his doctor. And, and, and um, I think it's interesting where, where it can go. So I'm looking forward to um, the new series. You know, I'm going to make a prediction. Just as uh, Hartnell was cold, distant, etc., in his first into second season, we're going to see, just like you said, Lewis, we're going to see a mellowing, a, a, a different, more layers of Capaldi in season nine, ten, however many you know he stays. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I think we're going to see him settle into the role. Well, also another factor is the writing. The writing now, now the writers can write for him, you know, because they've seen him and they, mm. they know, they know his doctor now, you know, and, and then they can flourish on what was already set, the foundation that was set there. I mean, if you, let's bring it back to John Pertwee. If you were just to judge John Pertwee on his first year, it, your, your impression may not be as trailblazing as it is through his whole five year span. So, um, mm-hmm. You know, it, I, it needs time to develop. You know, that's why, um, you know, I, I think Colin Baker was heading in that same direction. He, he had he had plans on staying longer and developing his doctor, but it never came to be because it was cut short. So um, I think, uh, you know, history has given Colin Baker the short stick when you when you think of his televised episodes, because he didn't really have a chance to flourish and bring it to where he wanted it to go. And um, no. So I, I, I think, you know, those that may be judging Peter Capaldi on just one, one year, you know, I, I think you need, still need to give him a chance and see where his, his character and his doctor goes. Sure. Yeah, you, you remind me of, of um, Louise Jameson saying that sometimes she was given scripts yes. where it was originally th- th- it said Sarah Jane throughout. Yeah. They literally marked out Sarah mm-hmm. Jane and written Leela. That's not writing for Leela. Right. Exactly, <laughs> That's, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, wasn't there one of the episodes this uh, past season that was actually written for Matt, and they rewrote yeah. it? Was Possibly, it was yeah. it the Robots of Sherwoods? I think maybe. I, I, I think there was one. I'll look it up. And mm-hmm. I had read that too. Yeah, but I can't remember which one. It, which one it was? But yeah, same thing. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's no way to judge a, an actor or a character, and uh, when they're when they're working on somebody else's script. Getting back to the Sea Devils, any other, um, anything else that we need to talk about before we give our final review? I guess not. (laughs) (laughs) Thunderous silence. Uh, Yeah, no, no, I'm going through my notes. I think, uh, I think we've covered it. Uh, I think we have. Yeah. The, uh, the motto of the episode is, I'm the idiot you've just been talking about. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's a terrible motto. Uh, yeah. Massive nuclear strike. It's the only way. <laughs> yeah, you made yeah. them very, very angry. Very, very angry. <laughs> well, 
Well, I'm going to say that that I enjoyed the story. I have. I should say that I haven't. You know, um, it's been some years. Um, I may even say maybe a couple decades since I last seen it. So it was good seeing. It was nice. Um, you know. Uh, you know, obviously, I, I've, I've seen it a few times before, but um, sometimes memory fades. So um, it was good to get refreshed on it. And, um, you know, what what stood out in my memory vividly, obviously, with, you know, outside of the sea devils themselves, were, was that, that sea fort and, you know, taking place out out, out sea and, and uh, you know, um, being very Navy centric and, you uh, um, but it was good seeing everything else being uh, the little bits of the of the story of the six part story uh, that might have faded from memory, um, you know, being reintroduced to that. I thought it was um, it has hovercrafts, as I said, jet ski boats, diving bells, everything but Bond himself, you know, and 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 right. um, John Pertwee <laughs> is the it's the James Bond of Doctor Who, if you will, and I think this is an excellent Absolutely. example of that. It's um, it's the early seventies. So anytime I'm watching a, a Doctor Who story, I put myself in the mindset of the early 70s. I, I was at, at the time not watching Doctor Who because it wasn't available to me at that time. But I, I try to put myself on, you know, on, on my memory of that period. I was I was young then, but I still remember the early 70s. And um, and I, I think this does justice. It holds up well. I mean, obviously, again. But yeah, I, I always review it in in that mindset of when it was made. So, um, so I, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to give it four out of five Tardis groans. I um, I thought maybe that there are parts of it, um, since it's a six part episode, the the the, the pacing might have slowed down in pieces here and there. Um, it could have been tightened up a bit, but for a six part story. Um, it, it kept going, and I, I thought it was interesting enough. I think, um, as Lee had said, I think what sells this is the acting. If um, if, if the actors that were in it were, weren't taking this, this, the Sea Devils seriously, then it wouldn't have worked. But I think they, they, they all did. You know, obviously the principals, Roger Delgado, it's always great seeing him working. Um, this was a... Before this... Um, Roger, uh, the master was always portrayed as as the villain, you know, as the as the. Uh, and, I mean, he's the villain here too, but he's working with the the sea devils. Where in previous um, Doctor Who stories with the master, he was always like the villain, you know. He was there was the Doctor versus mm-hmm. the master. So now this is the first time where he's sort of. Um, you know, he's working with another, you know, it's not just the Doctor and the Master, it's the Doctor, the Sea Devils and the Master. So it's, 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 um, it's something, you know, they're trying something different here. And I think it worked well. And it's the, the whole concept of the, the Master being imprisoned and, and how he, um, you know, is basically really in control of everything, but puts up this ruse about it all. And I, I think all that sort of worked well for this story. And um, it's always just interesting to see, um, you know, Roger Delgado playing the master there, so. My dear doctor, I can walk out of here any time I choose. Then why don't you? Because this place makes a good base for my operations. You see, I'm planning to contact our reptilian friends. How do you know about them? Oh, from the Time Lord's files. More stolen information. Naturally. Well, why do you want to contact them? Those reptiles, Doctor, were once the rulers of this Earth. With my help, 
They can be so again. Andrew, I still don't see why you want to help them. What can you possibly gain? The pleasure of seeing the human race exterminated, Doctor. The human race of which you are so fond. Believe me, that'll be a reward in itself. Governor wants to see you, sir. In a moment. He wants to see you now, sir. Better run along, old chap. You're still a prisoner here, you know. Like I said, I, I, I enjoyed it, and, it was, you know, I didn't regret coming back and revisiting this story for this review. So, Kyle, right, Well, I guess... All right, well, I guess I'll go next. Uh, I agree with everything you just said. Uh, you know, what, what sold it for me was the interaction between, uh, you know, Pertwee and Delgado, seeing him and the Master together. You know, that was great. I would give it a four out of five as well. You know, it, it. This is the first classic that I've watched in quite a while, so it took me a while to get back into that '70s mindset. Um, this, you know, the story. I think there was either episode three or four. It may have been four or five that I think could have been trimmed, uh, you know, to tighten it up a little bit. But um, you know, the the overall story I thought was good. Uh, they are actually something that I would like to see return, um, you know, just to see what from 19, you know, 70, what was it? 72, 73, yeah, uh, 72, you know, just, to, you know, taking it from there and jumping it forward to see what technology of today, you know, could do with them. So I'd give it a, I'd give it a four out of five easily. So good, good, good serial. But they, even though it went out in 72, it was, it was actually shot in 71, so and you know so it was it was written and um, you know came to being you know it was came to fruition in um, in seventy one and then um, you know it, it went out in February of seventy two. Good, but yeah, I mean you know a strong episode. So I thought uh, you know I thought very good. So Lee, what about you? Yeah, when when uh, when Lewis invited us to to talk about this one and that I. You know, looked back and saw that it was a six-parter. There was a part of me that said, "Oh boy, six parts." Well, okay, but I think it clips right along. That even as a six-parter, that um, that the the pace is is maintained really well. And I I, I uh, credit to Malcolm Hulk with that, and the, and the director as well. It's uh, uh, it's it was just more fun to watch than I than I had remembered. I, I I would go I'm, I, if we can do half half groans I would yes. go up to four and a half for yeah. this one I was um, you know you know me it was it's it's Malcolm Hulk's politics that fascinated me <laughs> and uh, and watching what he what he manages to do in this story in his portrayal of the people in power and I the way I remembered it from from seeing this episode before Trenchard was hypnotized by the master and that's why he's helping the master mm-hmm. he's yeah, not so too. yeah Trenchard is is doing what he's doing because he thinks he's doing the right thing for Britain hmm. and and so the doctor says the master's used his patriotism as a weapon and uh that was that's just one of those lines that uh, that went off like a bomb for me, I thought, what? This is a very th- there's some very sophisticated ideas in this episode. What what fun? It it. it I, I was 11 years old when this episode came out. I didn't see it then, but I think the 11 year old me would have loved the the ray guns and the hovercrafts and all that oh, stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. But for mom and dad, mom and dad watching the show with me would have said, this is a very very thoughtful piece about how big decisions get made in the world and um, you know, and who can you trust. 
and uh, it's it's uh, it is it's uh, it's really easy to, to to underestimate the script. So yeah, I'm saying four and a half Tardis groans for the Sea Devils. And you know what? I want to interject on what you just said. The the reason that this show is still around in 2015 is because of that very reason. It's exactly. because it's very well written and very well you know acted and portrayed and all of that. That's why it's still around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, you got it. Oh, we've also agreed that there's going to be a new Sea Devils story, <laughs> and it's going to be set in an oil rig. Exactly. And with a woman, with a strong woman in command. Yeah. All right. So, um, Mr. Moffat, you heard it. You heard it here. <laughs> That's right. Make it. Make Don't it. Don't lie so. to us. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I, I enjoyed it. So um, the. The DVD, I, I don't know if it's available individually, but I know um, there was a, um, a set that had uh, the Silurians or the Sea Devils and I think Warriors of the Deep available um, as, a, as a combo, as a, like a three-pack. So uh, um, you can get the, the DVD of it or um, I, I don't know if it's uh, available on streaming services. Uh, it might be. It is. Uh, it is available on. Uh, it is not available on Netflix. It is available by DVD on Netflix. But I watched it through Hulu Plus. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all six episodes. There, so they're available. Very good. So uh, if you haven't seen it yet, or if you if you have seen it, but it's been a while, as it was in my case, um, definitely, um, you know, revisit it. It's um, interesting. And as I said, we reviewed um, uh, the Solarians. I think it was coincidentally, you know, it was, uh, I, I think, um, 2012, January uh, of 2012. So, you know, we didn't plan. It was just worked out this way that um, I think it was um, almost exactly the same time we were, we were recording um, three years ago. It might, even to the day, it could be. I, I, I mean, I have... Wow. <laughs> it's very bizarre, but it's just uh, one of those uh, quinky dinks. <laughs> Maybe the three of us can get together and do Warriors of the Deep. Uh, <laughs> but let's not do it in three years. Let's do it sooner. There you go. <laughs> We're going to get to your feedback in just a moment, but I'd like to remind you on how you can help support this show and keep it going by becoming a Pachak supporting subscriber. For a few dollars each month, it really makes a difference. It helps keep the lights on and keeps the show going. And we'd like to do something in return for you. We'll give you, we'll bump you up in the queue in our live shows. Uh, we have these extra episodes, which we haven't done in a while, which we're, we're bound to do um, very soon. But uh, it's not really for the extras that you're doing it. You're really doing it to really help the show and keep it going. And Pachak Supporting Subscribers is the mainstay on how we can keep the show going and get it out on a regular basis. So if you'd like to become a supporting subscriber, um, you don't have to be. You know, you can continue to listen to the show and enjoying it without it. We continue, we enjoy just your support in, um, you know, in, in listening and, and being there as well um, and, and participating whenever you can. We always enjoy participation. And like I said, we're getting to your feedback in just a moment. Uh, but you can... Um, be that much more important to us um, by us helping support the show and keep us going. We're in our 10th year right now. We're selling, This year is our 10th anniversary year. And you, we, we wouldn't be able to be here where we are today if it wasn't for our supporting subscribers. So uh, again, um, you're not obligated to, but if you'd like to, 
we do appreciate those that do lend some support so we can keep the show going. So to become a Pachak supporting subscriber, you can go to our website, either pachak.net or arttrap.com, and you'll find banners on the top there on how to become a supporting subscriber. You can click on that and you can become one today. And like I said, we should be getting some extra content out um, whenever we can. We're, we're just focusing on getting, getting the regular episodes out at the moment. But, um, you know, with your support, we'll get some more um, extra content out. We got some interviews lined up for you for our next episode. So, um, so again, for all those that have been supporting the show, um, especially, you know, during the, the crisis that was uh, Superstorm Sandy, that they continued supporting the show even while we are on hiatus. Uh, I really appreciate that, and hats off to all of you that, that have, um, you know, that, that have lent support to the show that way. So, uh, once again, go to podshock.net or arttrap.com and click on the links there to become a supporting subscriber. It really does make a huge difference. Thank you so much. Let's see, we have a couple of feedbacks. I think we, we should tackle one of them as always you can send us feedback at um you can go to pachak.net our website and there's a feedback tab there and you can click on that and that will tell you how to send us feedback this, this is an audio podcast so we always prefer audio feedback but we'll take whatever feedback you have and um um but i always emphasize you know that to keep it concise and short as possible um you know and so if you want to call the public call box the number is, um, it's, whoops, it's, uh, I just lost it. Here it is. It's 206-337-4699, but always go to our website and double check to make sure that that's, that's the current number because sometimes it does change. Um, or you can send feedback at feedback at podshock.net. And that's where this feedback comes from, from Tony. Uh, he writes, hi, Lewis and Dave. Now, Dave isn't here, but I'm sure he appreciates it just the same. Uh, I saw a new movie, um, Pat, um, Paddington, over the weekend with my children and was surprised to see Peter Capaldi starring as an eccentric neighbor, Mr. Curry. Uh, taking place in England, his first or second scene shows him knocking on a window on a, of a telephone booth, a homage to Doctor Who Police Box, possibly. It was a treat and a pleasure. Uh, it was it was a treat and a pleasant surprise to see him in this movie. Keep up the great work on Pachak, uh, Tony, um, Adrade, Portland, Oregon. Uh, Tony, I, I didn't see the movie, but I did see. Um, I, I I didn't see. A, a I saw a clip from it, but not this particular scene. Uh, but to my understanding, and I, I could be wrong. I I don't know if he shot this. If this was sh I, to my understanding, I think this was made before. His casting on Doctor Who, but I could be wrong on that. Um, I, uh, like I said, I, I I'm not sure, but it's uh, if not, maybe it is a, uh, you know, or, or maybe it was taking place as it was happening. Maybe uh, when they were shooting it, maybe it might have been something they cut, might have just added in as a um, as a nod to it, knowing that he was going to play the Doctor. I don't know, but uh, to my, my first impulse was that they, um, I haven't seen the movie. You know, and um, but I think it was done before his involvement with Doctor Who, but I could be wrong with that. According to the Internet Movie Database, it is a 2014 movie, but uh, production wise, it, oh, Jeffrey Palmer's in it. Um, <laughs> he's been in Doctor Who too. I was just looking to see um, if it gives me any insight on when it was shot. 
I don't know. Well, if anyone else has any any insight on that, please uh, please let us know. Have, have either one of you seen the movie? I, I I've heard of it, but mm-hmm. I hadn't seen it. I've seen it advertised, but I haven't seen it. Well, you know what? I might be con- I might be con- be confusing it with another movie because this this looks like an animated movie. Am I am I looking at the right no, movie? No, the- now the one I believe is a live action. Yeah, it's a live with a action. One. Okay. Dinner. Yeah. All right. This is one with a bear. No, it is. It's it's okay. He plays Mr. Curry in this. Oh, there he is. Yeah. With with this um, a little bear will make a big splash from the producers mm-hmm. of Harry Potter. Okay, I was thinking of another yeah. movie. Yeah. This is yeah. It's Padding, Paddington Bear. Wow, I'm just scrolling through the cast of uh, Paddington, and it's full of Doctor Who alums. There's uh, Imelda Staunton and Hugh Bonneville and yeah. Michael Gambon and, wow. uh, and Peter Capaldi, of course. And, uh, and there's Jim Broadbent, who was very briefly the Doctor, if, if you count uh, <laughs> Case of the Fatal Death. I, okay, I think the movie that I was originally thinking of was is called The Fifth Estate, which is a live-action movie with uh, Peter, uh, Peter Capaldi, which... Like I said, that that's a 2013 movie, and I think that was done. That might have been done before his casting. You know, actually, it might have been shot actually before his casting. I'm not sure. It came out. Um, that did come out October 2013. So maybe, I don't know. But I think that's the movie I was thinking of when when I when I originally read that feedback. So my my bad. My apologies. But now we know. Now we know. Well, I, I have right. treated our listeners to the sound of three men typing. <laughs> <laughs> it's always weird if you're doing a Google search and you see yourself something that you posted in in the results there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, why am I there? <laughs> well, that's bound to happen, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's. Um, I, if you're curious, it was just I, I posted something about when um, when the new doctor was revealed. Well, we'll have to have Peter on the show, and we'll ask him. There you go. There we that's go. the only way. That's the only way to, be, to know for sure. All right. Well, I think that's going to round out this episode of Dr. Ponchak. I want to thank you both um, for helping me out, and it's been a pleasure doing the show with both of you. It's, um, you know... <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll I think help. the pleasure is all ours. Yes. Thank you for inviting us, Lewis. Oh, it's, a, it's, been it's a boyhood dream come true. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, Dave said that he'll be back. He just, um, as always, Dave, anyone that listens to the show regularly knows that he does the Colton Collective and he does it. He also does a wine podcast, too. So um, he was just um, kind of busy and he just needed a little breather. So but um, he's uh, promised to return. So um, for, for those that are missing, Dave, have no fear. Dave will be back, and um, and um, and both of you are welcome to come back as well. So um, you know, s- schedule permitting, we'll have you both on again, and um, you know, maybe we'll be reading Worries of the Deep. Who knows? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it may be three years from now. Well, no, Who no. Knows? sooner than that. Sooner than that. Who? Who knows? knows. <laughs> All right. So uh, until then, cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. 
have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented to you by the fan-run GallifreyNembassy.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This podcast is also supported by the Podchuck Podcast Companion app now in the iTunes App Store. Visit arttrap.com for more information on this and other podcasts. Doctor, do you think you're doing the right thing? I'm doing the only thing possible, Captain Hart, in order to avoid a major conflict. Suppose they won't listen to you. Doctor! I... All right, Captain Hart. Get these two out of here. <laughs>